Hey, welcome everybody. We're back with another Salt City Hoops midweek podcast. And once again, you've got the brothers Clayton here. I'm Dan. He's Ken. Ken, welcome in to hey. another free agency themed midweek podcast. Where else would I be? You know, probably somewhere in the in the triple digit desert of Arizona. That is true. Sporting, by the way, and I know our listeners aren't going to get this, but sporting quite a nice yellow with a jazz note t-shirt. So he's he's looking the part tonight. He's uh yeah, he's sporting the look. Yes, and as you were uh, as we mentioned just a minute ago as we were trying to start, not only do we have triple digits here in the desert, but we also just got a dust storm warning. So wow. It's a, it's a fun night to be in Phoenix. For sure. For sure. Fun night to be anywhere really in the NBA these days cuz obviously we're in uh you know, prime rumor mongering dates on the calendar and you know we got together last week Ken and I and we talked about um, all those names that we thought would be potential fits and not just in in free agency but potential trades and the type of veteran pieces that Dennis Lindsay was going to try to bring to the Jazz and then you know I think we were surprised Ken because I don't think either of us had the name Steve Novak on our radar last week. Well, no, speak for yourself. I'm pretty sure that was the first guy's name I mentioned because, you know, we were looking for a guy, let's see, who had won championships and oh, uh, was was a great player and, um, oh, you know, could be a leader in the locker room. Okay, one out of three is not bad because he might be able to help out with that. Yeah, yeah. So what's your I, – I, it sounds like you're not ready to grant him great player status. <laughs> what's your <laughs> overall take on the, on the Novak deal? Well, I understand, you know, as I'm buzzing around the Internet, I understand people worrying about uh, defense. But I'll tell you, if you watch a little bit of him, his highlights on YouTube, I was not that terribly familiar with him. I think I was out of the country most of the, you know, for the last couple of years of his career and haven't really caught up with him, if you can imagine that. Um, but you watch a little bit of his highlights, and I got two words for you that Dennis Lindsay said last year. Corner three. Yeah. Um, I mean, he hits him from everywhere, but you watch those highlights, and boy, he sits in that corner a little bit too on the 45-degree angle, but he sits in that corner and just waits for a pass. And yeah. while I don't think he's going to be on the court, you know, for, you know, 30, 40 minutes a game, I sure hope not, uh, I think the time he is on the court, it really is going to open up the game for the cutters, the ball handlers, of which we may have up to three on the court at this point. If you look at uh, Hayward and Exum, and uh, Burke, or plug Burks in for any of those three. You're going to have some ball handlers, and you're going to have a Favors or a Cantor in the post. It's going to open up some things that probably couldn't have been opened up a year ago. Yeah, and I think yeah, I, I think you're right on as far as the minutes impact, um, which is which is one reason why I think the people are a little bit overreacting to the Novak trade, both positively and then on the negative side of people saying, oh, no, crap, does this mean we're not re-signing Marvin, or does this mean that Cantor's not going to get off the bench? Like, Novak is not a... Um, I mean, you said you're not that familiar with him. Guess what? Nobody's that familiar with him. He's a guy who... Uh, he, he has topped 1,200 minutes once in his NBA career. He's pretty much... You know, he's a fringe rotation player, um, and by the way, that one year that he topped 1,200 minutes was about a 1,600-minute campaign. That was the crazy, weird Jeremy Lin year in New York when half of the Knicks were injured, so everybody's yeah. value got inflated. Um, and, and for the record, even 1,600 isn't really like you know top seven rotation player minutes. Even in, even in that year, which was a career high, 
he was basically the eighth or ninth guy, uh, you know, in the rotation for New York. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think you're right. I think he'll help in terms of spacing the floor off the bench, but he'll probably help for, you know, I don't know, 12, 15, 18 minutes, if that, uh, per yeah. contest. And I don't think this necessarily precludes anything else the Jazz were looking at. I think this trade probably had more to do... Um, it had more to do with, you know, using the cap space to get assets. Yeah, and I th- and I again, my first reaction, just like on draft night, was that's all they got for taking on basically what three point four million this year, three point seven million next year. But you know, I think cap space is a little bit uh, there. There's more of a supply out there now than there has been in yeah. some previous years. Uh, you mentioned today on Twitter all the trade exceptions that are out there. He could have gone into a trade exception. He could have gone into empty cap space. So there were many places he could have landed, which means you're not going to get as much for taking money off people's hands. Yeah, if I remember right, there were so four of those trade exceptions I tweeted about today were big enough that they could have absorbed Steve Novak. I keep almost saying Peter Novak because of my guy <laughs> Peter Novak on on Twitter. Um, who is either fictionally or actually Steve's cousin? I don't know which, but uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So so there were four trade exceptions, if I'm not if I remember correctly, and those were just of the trade exceptions that expire at the end of this week. So yeah. then, if you look at all the other outstanding trade exceptions that can be cashed in any time in the next twelve months, obviously, um, you know, and in fact, Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons did a podcast on this today, talking about just what exactly you get for absorbing salary, and they mentioned the Golden State trade, which is now a little over a year old, the Richard Jefferson, B. Edrinson, Russ trade. Um, you know, you just, you're right. It's, it, it's not as much of an asset-producing route as it used to be. So, you know, a couple of, what was it, two seconds? Uh, I thought it was just one second. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for and you get a guy who, you know, ostensibly can help out your bench a little bit and space the floor for intervals. So, um, so anyway, we're we're probably dedicating more time to uh, to Steve Novak than you play all season. Might be planning, yeah, um, not all season, but you know, right. fair enough. The uh, the guy that we did want to talk about tonight um, and maybe dedicate more time to, since he was the uh, something like the tenth or twelfth leading minute man in the NBA last season, is. <laughs> is Gordon Hayward, who here we sit on uh, July, whatever the hell it is, July 8th, still not knowing if uh, Gordon Hayward is going to bring the Jazz an offer sheet on July 10th. Yeah, well, I think, uh, as you pointed out rightly before, too, we may not know that until we know what's up with uh, Mr. James and Mr. Anthony and maybe one or two others in the league, especially those wing positions. Everything, I think, is a little bit on hold. I think Gordon's been in... uh, what, Charlotte the last two days, getting yep. wined and dined by the once again Hornets, or the Hornets again for the first time, or whatever we want to call them. That's, sure, which, sure. by the way, is another pet peeve of mine when a franchise changes back to a former franchise's name, but we won't. We better not start that. See, I've uh, just been calling them as a matter of protest. I've been calling them either the Bobnets or the Horcats. I like Horcats. Yeah, so if you want to join me on that, there's room on this bandwagon. <laughs> um. No, I think you know the Gordon Hayward issue. Still, uh, it's a it's a bit of a uh, hornet's nest out there. If you'll, that was not a intended pun um, at all. Yeah, 
But uh, I know you've been trying to fight the uh, good fight for Gordon, including getting uh, tweeted, I believe, by Gordon's dad for a post you wrote on Salt City Oops. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, when you basically make the case for a guy's son to get paid, I mean, it's you know, if that doesn't impress someone, which, which for the record, um, I jest a little bit because that's not even what I was intending to do with that post. I was intending to say with that post that, you know, we need to give Hayward his due when we talk about him and his on-court contributions and not minimize him by talking about him in the same breath as really these catch and shoot role player types or you know and that's that's unfair too um, because you know some of these guys we're talking about are better than catch and shoot role players but they're third fourth options that sit across the court from you know one or two elite offensive players um, versus a guy that we said you know go out and take 13 shots per 36 but also facilitate your whole team's offense and and handle the ball down the stretch so that was what I was trying to do is, is just say, you know, let's talk apples to op- apples when we talk Gordon Hayward, but obviously the, the implication there is that I think that the Jazz are in a position where they do have to match any offer that's put in front of them. Is that, yeah. how, you're, is that how you're seeing the Hayward thing at this point? Uh, more or less, I guess. There, I mean, there's still obviously some uh, room to uh, disagree or wonder what he can develop into. I know in your post you talked about how he could develop into a 26-6 guy. I actually, um, as we were talking about, as we we mentioned last night, we were going to talk about Hayward and what else would we talk about right at the moment in Jazz uh, free agency news. Um, I I went back and re-listened to a podcast that uh, Dave Locke did last year at Media Day and it was something that I thought of all through the season, which was uh, it was a it was actually an interview with Richard Jefferson, talking about how the year he hit, he started being a twenty point scorer. Rod Thorne pulled him aside and said, "The whole world's going to be different because I mean, first of all, you're going to get more publicity. Your name's going to be out there. But second of all, defenses are going to throw everything they've got at you because you're the twenty point guy." Yeah. And I and I and I actually went back and reconstructed this because early in the season I was following this kind of closely because I was you know just interested to see how Gordon was going to react to being kind of the uh, not the man but certainly the the most one of the more experienced young guys the most experienced young guy on the jazz and uh, if you track him through the first nine games he actually started out kind of slowly had a 12 point game the first game but then he ramped it up and at game nine he finally for one game, became a 20-point scorer. And right after that, I just, I, you know, I always intended to go back and watch tapes of the games right after that and see if people were really giving him a harder time. But right after that, he went, in the next few games, 15, 14, 18, 6, 13, 5. And at that point, he was a 16-point scorer, and that's pretty much where he stayed all season long. So as soon as he hit that 20-point-per-game 20, 20 number, either... Mentally, it got to him, or the defenses got to him, and he he obviously struggled or failed to stay there. So now the question is, with a little more balanced team around him, can he get back there, or is he a lifetime, you know, sixteen point guy like which we saw last year? Yeah. Well, so let me be let me be clear here and put some caveats on my twenty six six. Because, um, because really, I mean, when I when I said that, I wasn't even necessarily predicting it. I was showing statistically how close he is to that mark, and and if, um, you know, the Jazz were the were the twenty fourth in team in pace last year, right? So once yeah. you mark up for pace and 
and then once you give him back some of the shots that uh, that he was getting in the Alan Paul offense. Um, so that was mostly my point, is to say, you know, even, even if nothing else happens, but he just starts to get some of his old efficiency back and the possession numbers go up, now you're looking at a guy who's 18, 5, and 5. And, yeah. and even that is, that's pretty damn special numbers, 18, 5, and 5. Um, not, still not number one guy numbers, but now you're talking about legitimate number two on a good team type of numbers. Um, and then the other thing I'll, I'll say about, uh, about 26 and 6 and, and just the whole case you made about, uh, about the pressure associated with, with Hayward, you know, uh, dealing with defenses and, and his game-by-game stats. My theory, I, ha- I have a theory that there's a stretch in January that was when the Jazz decided, okay, screw it, we're matching anything that comes across for Hayward. Um, he had a couple of 20-point games in a row, which if you look over his career, he hasn't had a bunch of stretches with consecutive 20s. Normally, he follows up a 20-point game with, like you mentioned, an 8-point game or a 12-point game or something like that. And, it, and I know that because it's something that we've been talking about uh, in my Spanish radio gig. It's something we kind of followed closely for a while. Um, but he in, in early January, there was a stretch where he had a couple straight 20s, 22s, and then he had that 37-point game against Oklahoma City in a win. And then right after that game, the Jazz shut him down for a week and a half to nurse some minor injury. And yeah. my theory, and, I, and I'm not trying to be sneaky or clever or accusatory here, my theory is that's kind of when the Jazz said, okay, we've seen what we need to see, so if you need to take a week and a half and get your body right, you know, go ahead and throw some ice on it. Yeah. Yeah, 22-22, 37-27. Yeah, Although the twenty-seven could have been after he came back, I don't it, have the it was, I don't have yeah. the missing games. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he missed uh, he missed five or six games, and then he comes right back and and does a twenty-seven. And then hey, look, later in the year he went back to to struggling. So I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying, oh, everybody, Gordon Hayward has arrived. We don't have to worry about Gordon anymore. I'm just saying that the Jazz saw this sustained level from him um, for for maybe. At least as a as a number one offensive option, that was probably the first time they saw that kind of sustained performance from him. That yeah. was probably encouraging. No, I had another funny thought, which is also links to a 24 hour old bit of news that uh, from a from a former jazz personality. I was just curious because I I thought so is Gordon Hayward a guy? You know, is he that first option? Or is he the third or fourth option on a good team? Because that's kind of the debate that's going on. There doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground right now. Everybody thinks it's it's uh, you know is he first or is he third or fourth? And I and the, the first guy I thought of was a guy on an expansion team in the early 90s, and I looked him up, and crazy enough, he scored 16.2 points for the time he was on the expansion team, which is exactly what Hayward scored last year, and his. Rebound and assist number. He was a little higher on rebounding and lower on assists, but his numbers were in the ballpark as Hayward. And then that guy went to a, to another team, a better team, and his and his numbers really faded. That guy, any ideas? Ty Corbin. Yeah, you got it. Nice. You got it. Ty Corbin was 16.2 points when he played for Minnesota. It was over three years, I think, and it was something like seven rebounds and three and a half assists. And then, and last year, if you look at Gordon, 16.2 points, five and five. So yeah. good, good call. Good. If you used your magic eight ball, I had the right answer in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, no, that's that's interesting, and I'm sure those are the kinds of uh, 
forecasts that don't bode extremely well because I think well, people are, are hoping he'll be more than a Ty Corbin uh, throughout his career. Yeah, but I, exactly. But but my argument, um, and we'll see if I'm right, and obviously a lot of things have to break the right way for this to happen, but I think that there's a chance that in Gordon Hayward you have a guy that could be the Robin to someone else's Batman, um, especially because you also have Derek Favors, who if he tops out on his potential, he could he could be the guy that takes care of the defense. So Hayward doesn't have to be your offensive facilitator and your I can occasionally bail you out with a shot. And by the way, I'm going to guard the other team's best player and shut them down because you know D- Derek Favors could purportedly be leading your defense. So that's the way I'm. You know, if the Jazz are competing for titles sometime in the next year, in the next five years, it's probably because Dante Exum has turned into a true franchise player and not because Gordon Hayward did. So I'm not, I don't think I'm being delusional about what Gordon is, but I do think he could be a, a good number two on offense. Well, from your mouth to the basketball gods' ears, as far as Dante Exum is concerned, I'm looking forward to summer league starting this weekend and getting a real idea of what we've got when when up against some NBA talent. Although it might not be beautiful at first, he's still a 19-year-old kid, or maybe 18 still. I don't know what his birthday is. Yeah, but, he's uh, at, he's 19 later this month. Yeah, later. So so 18, and uh, you know, it, it it won't necessarily be pretty, but you know. <laughs> and neither will neither will Twitter and other message boards be if that's the case. Yeah, uh, huh, it'll be interesting. Hey, Tra- maybe Trey Burke is grabbing him by the by the arm and saying, you know, hey, I tanked last year in Orlando, so uh, so there's hope. So take some pressure off yourself and just play your game. Yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, this very young team, we continue the conversation about. Um, who the other players are that could potentially wind up around this young roster. So turning our attention back to free agency, um, and, you know, first of all, again, just this gaping hole on the list. Uh, so I've been tweeting out at least daily, sometimes tw- two or three times a day, uh, you know, these updates organized by point guards, wings, and bigs. Um, and then at the top it has Amin El-Hassan's top free agents from an AAV standpoint, average annual value, followed by all the other players at that position, and then we've kind of been tracking which ones get signed, and and uh, for those that aren't signed yet, who has interest. And it's interesting because if you look at the point guard column and the big column, there's a lot of red, meaning a lot of guys getting signed and, and taken off the market, or not signed, but uh, yeah. verbal agreements being made, pending the moratorium being lifted uh, here in a couple days. But that middle column with the wings... Pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, uh, it, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, um, I, I don't know if you're looking at the same image I'm looking at, uh, but are, are there any names left that are even, you know, vaguely interesting to you from a jazz standpoint? Well, I think that LeBron James guy can play a little bit, although, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, when you get into realistic guys from a jazz standpoint, I mean, I've always been a little more focused on the bigs. Um, I think there are a few, you know, there's there's a little bit more of an opportunity. That's not to say that the jazz are going to be ready to go just because they have Burke, Burks, Exum, maybe Hayward in the backcourt. They're, you know, they're, I hate to keep saying that people don't want to hear it probably, but they're still young. Um, you know, Exum is, as we just mentioned, is really young. Mm-hmm. Um, Burke, 
with a year under his belt, has um, probably much improved. Probably has a better summer league this year than he did last year, but still very young. So it's uh, I, I keep looking in the bigs, and there's not a lot out there. In fact, I think I'm looking at a slightly older version, the last one you tweeted, and I thought I heard Channing Frye is off the market when I'm looking at the bigs. Yeah, he is. Okay. He's a guy so, who might have been a fit, although when they pick up Novak, then do you really need another long, you know, long-range shooting guy? I don't know. Maybe if you don't really plan on playing Novak that much, it could be, but it's a, he's off the table anyway. Yeah, so the top bigs that are left are... Um, Chris Bosch, who I, I don't think we're in his conversation at all. Uh, Greg Monroe, who even if we liked him, and, and I'm not a fan of Monroe, I, I, think, I think building around Monroe is flawed in a lot of the same ways as building around Al Jefferson. He's a no-defense big who doesn't bang and isn't a great passer, so I, I'm not a fan of, of Greg Monroe. But even if I were a fan of Greg Monroe, he's restricted and not even remotely being rumored with the Jazz and then there's Pau Gasol and Ed Davis, who would have been restricted, but they didn't make him a qualifying offer. But so far, the only teams that we're really hearing from with regard to him are the Clippers and Phoenix. Yeah, and so I look at a guy like Ed Davis, and I think, okay, he, you know, he could have some potential. He could, I mean, he, he does have some potential. Uh, he hasn't set the world on fire, but he could. But you know, where's he going to fit in a front court that already? Obviously, has Derek Favors, who we once called the power forward. Now, now the Jazz are kind of saying he's a center. So you know, maybe there is an opportunity for him to come in and and play behind a Cantor. Um, if you take Novak out of the equation, if you don't sign Marvin Williams, um, if you don't think Rodrigo Bear is going to contribute a lot, still, I'm not saying I don't. I'm just saying if that's what the team thought. But you know, Ed Davis, I don't look at him and think, "Ooh, that would make a big difference in the Jazz." <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. And and then, you know, the names below that, that top group, um, there's nothing there that sets me on fire either. Although there are some veteran names that, you know, give a little bit of a presence to a, a front line that currently is Derek Ennis and Rudy um, and Jeremy. Um, but, uh, you know, like, would it be the worst thing in the world if they brought in Nazi Muhammad on a cheap deal? No, not really. But, I, you know, most of his contribution would be... Um, his off-court tutelage, right? Um, yeah. And I, I still don't hate... I mean, I'm looking through the names here. I still don't hate my Emeka Okafor idea if he's healthy. Um, yeah, man, there's just there's just not a lot there. Andre Bloch is now finally starting to get some interest. There was a rumor today that Toronto's talking to him, but he's enough of a loose cannon that I'm not sure that's the direction the Jazz are going to go. Um, yeah, I look and I look down too, and I, I think I mentioned this last week on the when we when we did our podcast. Uh, I didn't like him last year simply because he was playing for Golden State. And I wanted that draft pick, but yeah, Jermaine sure. O'Neal impacted that team and helped him out a few times. Not not like ten, fifteen wins, but uh, he helped him out a few times when they were in in a jam when Bogut was injured, when David Lee was injured, and probably bought them a few extra wins, which unfortunately bumped that pick back in the round, although the Jazz probably got the guy they wanted anyway at 23. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, hit some of those check boxes that we were talking about um, that we were talking about last week, which is he's been on winning teams. He's been an all-star, so he can sort of talk to that mentality, but he's not at a point now where he's going to really take the focus away from your young core. So, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't hate the Jermaine O'Neal idea either, um, although I've not heard a peep that the Jazz are no. interested in him. Um, Ryan Kelly or, or vice versa. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then on the wings, um, so an interesting rumor started uh, just as we were about to get going on this podcast. So, um, dang it, I lost his name, so I can't source this one. Here it is. Chris Haynes from uh, Comcast Sports Network Portland is reporting that Utah is one of four teams, New Orleans, Brooklyn, Houston being the others, that have expressed interest in free agent Francisco Garcia. Um, I, I don't know. For me, that sounds like a weird one. Um, and, and for a long time, I got, I got in trouble because every time I said that I really liked Gravis Vasquez or every time I said that I liked Al Horford, everybody said, oh, you just, you're Spanish radio. You just like the Latino guys. <laughs> but I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of Francisco Garcia. And, and more importantly, I'm not sure exactly um, – I'm not sure that he solves a need other than that, again, you know, he's a corner, he's a corner shooter. Yeah, he's a corner shooter, but uh, yeah, where does he, you know, where does he come in and get minutes? Every minute he's on the court, and again, there will be minutes. There, there will be minutes needed. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get in foul trouble. But every minute he's on the court, he's probably taken away from that shooting guard or small forward spot. So that means Exum or Burks or Hayward or Hood or whoever else they sign at those positions is not playing. Now there will be right. minutes when those guys aren't playing, but. Um, do you want to add to it? I mean, you, you want the veteran influence. This is one of the things I thought last year. I actually thought they were a little brilliant with the veterans they brought in because aside from Richard Jefferson, there was very little chance any of those guys was ever going to play. At least that was my perspective as a fan. Yeah. John Lucas III, hey, sure, bring that guy out because he's never going to see the court. I don't think Dennis Lindsay thought it quite the same as that, but that certainly is how it ended up by the end of the season. Yeah. So we we've heard we've heard a lot of passing references like this, you know. Oh, the Jazz have expressed interest in Francisco Garcia. We you know we heard that with Ryan Kelly. We heard that with some other guys in this free agent class. We heard it last year, and then nothing ever comes of it. How much of that do you think is just you know Dennis doing his due diligence and putting the calls in? Um, I I think a lot of it. I think he's putting in calls. He said before free agency started, uh, he was quoted in uh, it was probably the the news or the Tribune. I don't recall which or probably both, saying, hey, he was even going to call LeBron's agent and Carmelo's agent and everybody's agent to just let them know, hey, if you're interested, we've got some salary cap space, knowing it wasn't going to be, uh, knowing it wasn't probably going to yield anything. But you want to register an interest just on the off chance, or maybe you want to do it just because then there's not a player out there who thinks, oh, they didn't call me, you know, and takes that as some sort of locker room material or bulletin board material to go out and torch you some night. Yeah. No, I, so, I agree. I had another thought the other day, actually, about uh, Dennis Lindsay, and, and part of this is probably just, um, it, 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 it's probably a little unfair. In fact, I always thought it was unfair. People always post things like this as if they're truth, that... Uh, but in the past, it was KOC. Kevin O'Connor never does anything. Why didn't we trade for so-and-so? Why didn't we, in fact, there was one a few weeks ago, why didn't we bring David Blatt on as coach? Why didn't we even talk to him? Well, how do you know we didn't talk to him? Sure. But the one thing that I noticed about Dennis Lindsay the other day is we, as uh, we read about the most recent trade, I thought, you know, that's crazy. In the last six, in the last year, there have been six trades with six different teams and that's a little bit of a departure from, you know, we, when Kevin O'Connor was around, there were a lot of trades with Philadelphia and New Jersey. 
yeah, but few, fewer, or you know, if any, uh, with anybody else. It just it kind of speaks to me that Dennis Lindsay is maybe a little more plugged in in the league. And maybe it's partly because of stuff like this. Maybe he's having these discussions with these agents. Kent Bazemore is another one. I didn't really understand it. I don't think Kent Bazemore is going to end up in Utah. Or um, Trevor Ariza. Yeah, or Trevor Ariza. Which, but maybe by having... Go ahead. Yeah, I just, Ariza maybe fits the profile a little bit better, but go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so maybe just by having these discussions with these agents and keeping it or batting things around, that just keeps you plugged in because some things aren't happening just with the other GM. Some things happen because the agent has a relationship with you and the agent can take something back to the GM and you throw these things around. Now, those six trades I mentioned with Lindsay, uh, what, four of them were draft night trades and two of them were salary dumps. These weren't blockbusters, but still, it just tells me the Jazz are plugged in, or they have proof that they're plugged in that they didn't have before. Now, KOC might have been just as plugged in, but now we can see it because you got six trades with six different partners out there in the last year. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, I, I I personally think that that Kevin probably did his his due diligence too, but to your point around like, you know, we can we can see it. We can see that um, you know, Dennis doesn't just have Billy King's number, right? Yeah. <laughs> so or his old buddies from uh from Philadelphia where Kevin worked before the Jazz. So, you know, I, I, I get it and that's actually a really interesting and valid point. Um and and then, you know, back to how it relates to this free agent chase, um, maybe should make us not read too much into all these opaque references to guys that we have quote unquote expressed interest in. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm scanning the list to see who else. Um, yeah, there's Baysmore. I mean, just some guys that you're like, really? We called him? Okay, well, fine. Um, so yeah, wings. Uh, yeah, I, I, everybody's still there in the wing department. Although, until the Jazz decide what's going on with Gordon, and then to a degree, I still think they have to figure out, um, you know, if we're really only looking at Novak as as a thousand-minute-per-season player, which is about what he's been, then maybe you still do need to have a conversation about uh, if you want to bring back Marvin to play some three and some four, which I think he's better suited for that than a full-time four, but... Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see where that goes. Well, and ultimately, if we look at the numbers game, the Jazz have uh, nine guys under guaranteed contracts right now. They also have four guys under non-guaranteed contracts. So now we're up to 13, although those four are pretty soft. They can create a spot just by uh, waving a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, so you take the, what did I say, nine, you add Hayward because the Jazz say true or not, we can only, we, we assume they're going to match whatever comes their way or they're just going to sign him to a deal eventually if nothing materializes. So there's 10 and you know, then they bring back a guy, maybe that's maybe that's Marvin, maybe that's yeah, probably Marvin or nobody. Um, although there's probably some chance on Jefferson, but I, I, I would think less likely. And then they're, they're not looking to fill a major number of positions. I mean, they already have uh what did I say? Nine plus four. Thir- so you add in, you add in Hayward, and they've got a fourteen-man team already with yeah. the non-guaranteed guys. So and, and by the way, two of those guys are over thirty in John Lucas and Steve Novak. So you're super young, um, and and you're you know maxed out on roster spots. Yeah, which is why I still wouldn't be shocked. 
I know I said this a lot going into the draft and um, didn't come to fruition yet, but I still wouldn't be shocked if at some point um, a, a young guy or two gets packaged and, and they try to bring in some kind of impact veteran. Not an all-star, not a guy to take the focus away from the youngs, but some kind of impact veteran. Wouldn't surprise well, me. And it could happen because, uh, as much as we've heard, and it actually hasn't been that much because of the logjam with uh, LeBron, Bosch, Carmelo, those guys. As much as we, so as much as we have seen, nothing's really even started yet. So yeah. there could be a whole lot that we haven't seen that just is still behind the scenes. Um, it could involve the Jazz. It certainly involves somebody. There's 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 deals out there that are probably already done that we don't know about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's switch gears and let's just uh, end real quick on lightning mode. Earlier I uh, sent out on Twitter just a request for some topics we could talk about. Um, actually wound up getting some pretty specific questions, so if you don't mind, Ken, we'll uh, end here on a little bit of a rapid fire uh, with some questions from some Twitter folks. So Buckle Up Jazz wants to know... Nope, sorry, that's not a question. Uh, Michael wants to know... The conversation seems to be fun when people talk about what dominoes will fall when LeBron and Carmelo get signed. And again, I think the answer is all of the dominoes are <laughs> at the wing position, especially like that's what we're waiting on. So to the point about the, the you know top free agents, as defined by Amin El Hassan of ESPN, uh, in the in the point guards, four of the top seven have verbally committed. In the bigs. Uh, seven of the top 11 have verbally committed. Of the wings, zero of the top 11 have verbally committed. Yeah. And, and the only two that have verbally or actually, Vince Carter hasn't yet. He's uh, supposedly closing in. Um, so Tabo Cephalosha, the only wing that made the top 30, uh, El Hassan's top 30 that has verbally committed, and that was at a paltry $4 million a year. So... Um, so I think, Michael, that, you know, the dominoes are basically everybody else that's waiting at this point. Um, let me throw this one your way because, I, you know, and this might be a punt because I, this probably requires more research. But uh, my buddy Scott asks, best ways, comps, etc., to predict the success of Exum and Hood? And he asks about Jimmer, but sorry, Scott, we're not doing Jimmer on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, I have a running joke with Scott about Jimmer. So. Okay. Um, well, I think get back to me next week after we see some summer league play, but I'll I'll just take a shot at it a little bit. I mean, I think uh, I don't know. I'm I'm optimistic about both, but it's pretty cautious. Yeah. As we mentioned earlier in the in the program here, Exum is 18 years old. He'll be 19 by opening night, so he'll he'll be really mature by then. Um, I'm I'm the father of a 19-year-old, so I feel like I'm really um, able to comment on this. No, I don't. I know that has nothing to do with this. How are his um, driving dish skills, by the way? What? How are <laughs> his driving dish? Yeah, you don't you don't want to know. Oh, all right. He's he's looking for a job that pays ten dollars an hour, not uh, three, four, five million dollars a year. So it's a whole different ball, whole okay. different market out there. Um, Hood, you know, Hood just is an interesting one. The Jazz reportedly had him in their top 10 or 15, depending on who you uh, listen to. Somebody was saying on Twitter this week, and yet some guys have him in the bottom 10 
uh, you know, on the statistical guys, Kevin Pelton and, and that group, have him in the bottom ten in the draft. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm going to be watching him just as much as Exum next week to see how are these guys going up against not top NBA, ta NBA talent, clearly, but against the, the rookies and free agents and, and that gang. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Hood is probably a little more of a finished, not finished product, clearly, in the NBA sense, but he's, but he's three years removed from high school, so he's getting to more of a, a real you know, draft age guy, junior, senior, junior year in college age-wise, um, even though he only played through his sophomore year. And so, you know, you, you have to just look. I'll, I'll worry more the more he struggles. Exum, I'll probably be less concerned because he is 18 years old. Yeah, sure. Um, for the record, I, I, I won't comment on the Hood thing because I think you did a good job there, and I mostly agree with everything you said on, on Hood. Exum, um, you know, I've watched a little bit of him lately, just, you know, the tapes that are out there. Um, and everyone has talked about his best-case scenario comps. Um, you know who he reminds me of a little bit and how he moves and certainly the speed and the, and the way he finishes. Uh, both these guys were really, you know, quick in terms of foot speed but not really explosive leapers. And maybe this represents sort of the conservative estimate for him. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Leandro Barbosa when he was with the Suns. Um, okay. You know, big, big long guard, um, but, but definitely point guard skills, um, which, you know, I, I guess, you know, Barbosa has had a nice career, and there was a while where he was a really hot commodity. Um, they're certainly hoping he's more than that, but... Well, sure, you don't, you don't, you don't use a five pick for Leandro Barbosa, um, yeah. unless there's even, you know, less after the number five, but I think in this draft we'll find out that there was more, so obviously that would be uh, probably looked at as a disaster down the road if that was sure. all they got out of him. I would uh, I would much rather he fulfill some of the some of the more lofty yes. comps. Um, okay, so a couple questions from Randy who asks, um, how likely is it that the Jazz keep Burke next season? I think they're keeping Burke. I, I, I mean, they're listening to every trade, but I think they're keeping Burke. If so, will Exum play at the too much? Does RJ come back? If not, who plays the three? And then what are the chances that Marvin comes back after the Novak trade? Those are all questions from Randy, and they're all kind of interrelated. Can I'll get your take, but my thinking is that right now, I think the Jazz have slotted as sort of a three-guard rotation. Um, I think Trey and Exum will play together a bunch, and when they're not playing together, it's, it will usually be because Alec Burks is at the two, and one of those two is running the one. So I think those are your three guards. And then at the three spot, you're going to have a little Hayward, and you're going to have a little Hood, both of whom can also play down in certain scenarios. And yeah, I think you, I think you might bring Marvin back, but that probably looks less likely now. Um, what, am I off base? What do you think? No, I think you're right on those those five. Um, you know, Hood is probably a more distant uh, possibility. Um, I mean, depending on who else they bring back at the three position. But uh, no, I think they probably still are interested in Marvin Williams. He just got such a lineup of competitors chasing him that that makes me think eventually does he you know go chase a ring? He may. Um, 
probably won't be in Miami anymore after they sign McRoberts, but uh, we'll we'll see where he lands. I think uh, the only way, I think the, the question asked about Jefferson too, I think the only way he's probably in the discussion is if they don't bring Marvin back, then maybe they say, well, you know, Richard Jefferson did some good things for the team last year. Um, just, he did. Just, just to troll Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think there's some possibility of one, but not both of those two guys from last year. Um, or, you know, they end up going a completely different direction because those guys get better offers elsewhere, especially Marvin. doesn't sound like there's been a whole lot of chatter out there about Jefferson at all. For sure. And again, you know, we're hearing Baysmore, we're hearing Ariza. Um, it wouldn't shock me to hear me and then it, it, to hear to hear the Jazz mention in the conversation with some of these others. Um, but again, I I still think, um, and this sort of answers another question asked by uh, who was this one? Oh, this was another one by Randy. What uh, what potential moves are out there for the Jazz to still make? I I still think. Um, that there are some deals out there to be had that don't all necessarily classify as pure cap dumps. I think that there are opportunities based on a number of teams going a number of different directions, um, and, and then the free agency market, and you know who might have to clear cap space quick to try something with a with a marquee free agent. I think that there's a chance that this is a year that you could cash in an asset or two. And go get someone who really makes a difference for your ball club. Yeah, but although that said, that said, I meant to bring these up, these guys up before the when you do talk about the salary dumps. There's a, there's a few big names out there. Uh, one of them you've heard of before, Carlos Boozer. Yeah, obviously Jeremy Lin. Could the Jazz be the team that's just sit waiting on hold to take Lin if Houston needs the cap space? And then I think uh, they were talking Jarrett Jack. And maybe now I think they're talking about him going to New Jersey, but then Marcus Thornton is available to go to a team who just wants to take a salary dump, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, although, you know, it would be interesting to see us help out Cleveland in clearing space, particularly if it's not for LeBron James, because that could wind up just upping the price on a Gordon Hayward offer sheet. Sure, so, sure. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to watch that. Like, you know, like we said, that's uh, the way the dominoes work this time of year. All right, so uh, that's been a fun one. We've answered some questions. We've talked about Hayward. We've talked about Novak. We've talked about uh, the free agency and and uh, the guys that are still out there. Uh, I think we'll wrap this one up. This has been the Brothers Clayton with a special midweek podcast for Salt City Hoops. Stay tuned for more throughout the week and throughout free agency. Thanks. <laughs>